0: Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. It is your breath in our lungs that gives us life. And with that life, we praise you. We choose to live to your glory. But the truth is also we find ourselves out of breath, breathless. Our breath is taken away by the pace of life and the challenges that we face. And so... Now we stand before you opening up your word and invite that you will breathe the breath of your Holy Spirit on us. Just as you asked the prophet Ezekiel, can these bones live? Lord, the answer is you know and the power is in your hands and so we pray that you will breathe fresh life into our lives. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Well, we come to God's word and at different churches throughout Kindred and our city, today in this very moment, it's being read in different languages, but all of our kindred churches are reading the same text. And so I would invite you to pull out a Bible of some kind and navigate over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. I'd like to engage you, would you be willing to read this aloud together with me, and if you're able, let's stand together as a way of honoring Jesus, who gives us his word and who is the living word, and uh, we'll read out loud First Peter, chapter three, verses thirteen through seventeen. And when we're done reading, I'll say, "This is the word of the Lord." So that if you believe it, you can say, "Thanks be to God." Listen carefully; you're reading God's holy word. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. And do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good. If suffering should be God's will, then to suffer for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Well, there comes a time when you will pay a price for doing what's right. Isn't that what Peter's saying here? There comes a time when you will pay a price for doing what's right. You'll make a decision, you'll make a good decision, and the world around you will not stand up to clap. In that moment, what is it that will hold you firm? This is what Peter's getting at for his audience. He says to them, I think, that the reality is this, you are being sifted. You are being sifted. Now I wonder if Peter, as he writes this, is having a kind of a flashback to that moment, the night that Jesus was arrested. Remember, a cold, dark courtyard where Peter warms himself and hides himself by the light of a fire. And he denies Jesus three times. You know the story. Hey, weren't you with them? No, no. Aren't you one of them? No. Isn't that a Galilean accent? I tell you, I never knew the man. And then the rooster. Three times. Oh, and the tears and the despair that comes to Peter's heart in that moment. He remembers then that Jesus had already told him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Wheat. Sift. It's another one of Jesus' forming metaphors. They would take a pan and put a screen in the bottom of the pan, and then they would shake it hard back and forth until what's good in the pan starts to emerge as the only thing. You will be sifted, Jesus had said to Peter. If you look that word sift up in the Greek dictionary, it'll tell you by inward agitation to try or to test one's faith, to the verge of overthrow. That sounds uncomfortable, doesn't it? Now Peter is writing years later to his flock, these little new communities, new believers who are fragile. They're The multi-ethnic communities trying to embrace their neighbors with the love of Jesus Christ while also holding firmly to the way of Jesus and to follow that way in their own lives. And Peter says to them, you will be sifted. They will face an inward agitation that will test their faith to the verge of overthrow. And brothers and sisters, I want to say to you today, I think we're being sifted also, the church in America. We're being sifted right now. I hear it in the news, I see it in my own family, I feel it in my own soul. There's a heaviness, there's a disorientation, there's a rising fear inside of me. And it's not just the pandemic. (laughs) Yes, there is the pandemic. And I'm not gonna play armchair sociologist today and tell you all the very causes of this condition. I just tell you, I feel it. In fact, I think maybe the causes are different depending on who you are. Maybe that's part of the condition is that we don't even agree on the causes, but we do share a collective condition in our collective soul. And Jesus calls it being sifted like wheat. And the dictionary calls it an inward agitation that will test your faith to the verge of overthrow. And Peter, in the first chapter of this letter, says, your faith is being tested by fire. Do you feel that? You feel that? I feel it. Our faith in God, of course, but not just. Our faith in institutions. Our faith in politics. Our faith in the rule of law. Our faith in America. Sifted. Our faith in corporations, in employers, our own employers, even the very work that we do, sifted. Our faith in medicine, our faith in science, our faith in technology, our faith in each other, our faith in ourselves, sifted. Our faith in our own mental health is being sifted today. Not long ago, we used to talk about the stigma of talking about mental health. These days, I kind of feel like, you know, I'm more worried about the person who's not talking about or struggling with their own mental health, right? I worry about you if that's the case, because all of our psyches are under a collective strain right now, and it does affect how we think, how we feel. Our faith in our own way of life is being sifted also. And here's where the pandemic comes in. We've been sitting at home, kind of stuck with ourselves for two years, and we've raised all these questions. Should I quit this job? Should I break off this relationship? Should I leave the city and move to Montana? One of my friends said, her neighbor said to her, there must be something more sifted. And we'd like to believe that the church has answers, but it doesn't always seem that way either because our faith in the church is being sifted, right? We've been hurt by the church, wounded by the church, many of us even abused by the church. Almost all of us disillusioned by a church that sometimes looks much more like a political party on the right or on the left than it does look like Jesus. We're being sifted. Brothers and sisters, we are losing a generation right now of believers, the rise of the nuns. And not just that, many from all generations, you know, stop going to church during the pandemic and they're not coming back. This is uh, what we read in the research, it's what we see in our own experience. People just stop going to church and it includes pastors, by the way. Nobody is immune from this. People are giving up their jobs, sifted. Now, it's awkward to talk about these things, but I, I do because I, I feel like if we could identify with the condition Jesus is trying to address, then we can open ourselves up to the hope that Peter offers his readers. And so I say to you, yes, we are being sifted, but also, as Peter says, you who are sifted have a living hope. And here's where it gets good. I mean, this is the message of the whole letter as a whole, but here in the text that we just read, chapter three, Peter seems to boil it down to one clear imperative right there in verse 15. He says this, you read it, in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, for the Greek speaker, the word heart was not, like us, just the seed of emotion or sentimentality. The word heart or the concept of the heart refer to the center of the will. It's it's about your agency. It's about what drives your life. The center of your life, that's what's meant by heart. What's meant by sanctify? Well, it comes from the word for holiness which means belonging to God. And and the way Peter uses it here, he's not so much saying make uh, your heart holy as he is saying, declare in your heart that Christ is holy. You know, uh, this word is used in the Lord's Prayer when we say, hallowed be thy name. What, what we mean is we're not making God's name holy, but we're declaring God's name to be holy in our lives. We, and we ask God to do that. And when the Old Testament says, um, declare, uh, sanctify the name of the Lord among the nations, the writer is saying, declare that the name of God, that the character of God is great among all the nations. And so to take the center of your life and in that place declare that Jesus, the Messiah, is Lord. That's what Peter's talking about here. Just to help you get a concept, I hear a few other translations. The NIV says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, revere him. Uh, The NLT says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. I like that. Uh, The ESV says, in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord. Honor him in your heart as holy, he says. So here's how I would put it. I would put it this way. Let Jesus live as Lord in every area of your life. Let Jesus live as Lord in every area of your life. Let Jesus live in you. See, Peter calls his readers back to the living center of their faith, and and he's riffing on an early creed. You know, the early followers of Jesus, it was real simple in English, three words, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord was the whole confession and creed. And it was, you know, it was stolen from the Romans. You know, they were invited to take a pinch of incense and throw it on the fire and declare Caesar is Lord. It's a pledge of allegiance. And the Christians, after Jesus rises from the dead, they go, "Mm -mm, not so much. Jesus is Lord, right? That's the good news of the gospel in a few words. And Peter goes, let that creed and confession, let that reality that you claim actually be a living reality right at the center of your heart and in every aspect of your heart. And here's why I think this matters for us. When we're sifted, here's why I think this matters. Let me give you three reasons this morning to let Jesus live as Lord in you. And the first one is this. If ever he was the truth, a living hope is still the truth today. Still the truth today, a living hope. Now I know today we're supposed to have our own truths. You've got your truth and I've got my truth. I understand that. But I don't think we really live that way very often. I mean, when you step off a curb to cross a four-lane artery, the tour bus that's just about to hit you is either there or not there, (laughs) right? And no matter what your truth is, it might be a good time to adjust your truth, right? And this is what they learned about Jesus, that they could walk away from Jesus and he'd still be Lord. They could arrest him as a criminal and he'd still be Lord. They could nail him to the cross, bury him in a tomb. On the third day, he gets up. Jesus is Lord. And the same is true for you and me, no matter how hard we get sifted. I mean, we can question our faith all day long, but he's still Lord. We can fall off a cliff, but he's still Lord. We can buy a motorcycle, kiss church goodbye, and America could drop into the depths of the sea, and he would still be Lord. Right? I say that as a patriot. There's nothing more patriotic than you could say as a Christian than Jesus is Lord in America. Let Jesus be Lord over America, right? We're not there yet, but that's the aspiration and that's the hope for America. Jesus is still Lord today and that's the truth. We say to one another, never forget in the dark what you knew to be true in the light. You know that saying? It's really helpful in this moment, I think. And my friend Rich Stern He also says, there's a corollary to that, George. He says, never forget in the light what you discovered in the dark. Right? Both of those things are true. So I just want to invite you for a moment to kind of step back from the crisis that we're all feeling from the news for just a moment, even from your own doubts for just a moment, and ask yourself some questions. I won't answer them for you, but I'd love for you to wrestle with them as I'm wrestling with them. Questions like this. Are we nothing more than chemistry and chance mutation? Or... Are we deeply spiritual in the image of God? Is there nothing but the will to power? Or is there such a thing as beauty, goodness, justice, and truth? Can we just have our way with one another? Or is each one of us deeply loved and endowed with inalienable rights? Are we hurtling through empty space? Or has a creator stepped into creation and walked among us with the power to save and redeem? What do you believe? Because what Peter knows is that if Jesus was ever the truth, he's still the truth today. Jesus is Lord, and that matters. And there's a second reason to let Jesus live as Lord in your life, and that's this, if ever he was the way, a living hope is still the way today. See, when we let Jesus live as Lord in every area of our lives, we discover a new way, a new possibility, unforeseen, unimaginable, opens up before us because Jesus is Lord over that too. And I want to say, in a sense, it can be good to lose your faith. This actually can be a good thing. I I caught myself. Uh, recently, opening up an envelope that had the, my retirement account in there. And I looked at the statement and I thought, oh, this is not what it said three months ago. <laughs> and it kind of shook me for a moment. And then I had to pause and catch myself and say, but wait a minute, what does that mean to you? And there's the voice of Jesus uh, in the back of my head going, do you really want to put your faith in these numbers? Right? I mean, this is where actually it's good to lose your faith because we tend to put our faith in so many things that are not worthy of our faith. Jesus is saying, those numbers don't know your name. Those numbers don't care for you like I do. Those numbers don't love you. And they will not give their life for you. Do you want to entrust yourself to those numbers? And all of a sudden now, as I let Jesus live as Lord over my finances and my retirement, he starts to open up a new way for me. And that's life-giving. I have permission to share an email with you that someone sent me this week. I was just devastated. I still am really rocked by the racial shootings that we, last week, the anti-Asian, uh, anti-black uh, violence. So was this member, and he was wrestling with with this and Kindred, and he writes me this. He says, I've been asking the question, what does a transformed mind mean? If you and others meet me, do you walk away and say, Christ has transformed his mind? I like that question. He writes. I have the image of walking with Jesus on a turbulent sea. With a transformed mind I can grieve loss and the consequences of hate that brings suffering but rise above with a transformed mind so that in some small way I can act with his grace to make a difference in my family, work, community, and nation. Isn't that remarkable? Jesus is doing something in this man's life somehow Jesus is opening up a new way for him to en- engage as a minister of reconciliation in racial reconciliation. And I don't know about you, but I hear Peter in the background of that when he talks about walking on the, on the sea. When Peter sits in the boat and he looks out at Jesus walking on the waves and he says, there's no way a human being walks on water. Jesus goes, let me show you a new way. Right? Peter's <laughs> like, let me, and he gets out of the boat and there is a new way. Uh, Through the sea, like a new exodus as Peter walks. This is the promise of Isaiah 43. But hold I'm about to do a new thing. As you come out of exile, I'm about to do a new thing. I will make a way where there is no way. And I believe that's where we stand today. On the cusp of a whole new, wonderful, unimaginable way. You see, I become convinced that there is no way forward for us apart from a deep, authentic experience of the living Jesus Christ. That's what I really want you to get today. As your pastor, as your brother in Christ, as a fellow Christian, there's no way forward apart from a deep, authentic experience of a living Jesus. I talk with pastors across the country. This sense that we're in a crisis is universal. And I want to tell you, there is no program, there is no ministry, there's no amount of money That will solve this crisis, that will get us out of this fix. God is sifting us right now, but we have something better. I mean, there is no map, there is no compass, but we have something better. We have the living Jesus Christ. That's his promise. And I believe to engage with him, to move forward as a church means nothing less than to be a follower, to engage with Jesus in a deep and living way, to experience spiritual formation so that he takes the ways in which our lives are malformed by the culture and world around us, our own sin, the evil one, and and are reformed after the image of Jesus Christ. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, Peter says. That's what you need when you're sifted. So I, I believe this. And this is why we're calling each other to faith in Jesus almost every Sunday here. Because this is essential. We need one another to all have individual and collective experiences of the living Savior. Actually, our city needs us to have that experience here. If we're going to be a light and salt, agents of reconciliation. This is why we're investing so much in spiritual formation here. For adults, yeah, not just for kids or college students, but for adults we're starting to read the Bible again through Immerse. New groups are being formed. Kindred, the whole experience of reconciliation. Small groups. Uh, We started a new podcast. We have Wednesday night conversations with thought leaders from around the country and increasingly around the world. And we want you to engage in this. We need you to participate. I mean, if you don't yet know Jesus in this way, and I don't care if you've been sitting in church for 40 years, if you don't know him in a personal way, if you don't have an encounter with the living Christ on a daily basis, then we want to introduce you to him. So please reach out to us. And one way you could do that is upc.org slash Jesus. You can come up front after the service, talk to somebody, or if you're not connected yet. I mean, that's wonderful. A lot of new people are coming to UPC, and I love that. But here's a great way to connect. Join an immerse group. They're just starting. We're going to read the beginning of the Bible. Come to upc.org slash immerse or talk to the young man at the welcome desk named Brian out there in the lobby. This is mission critical. This is our future as a church. This is our only future as a church. A community of people who have a real encounter, a daily encounter with the living Jesus transforming our lives and transforming the lives of our neighbors as we reach out and live with them as though they already belong to this great family of faith. And you know what? I see it happening. From where I sit, I see it already beginning. I'm so excited about this. Something is truly happening at UPC and we're not engineering it. It's happening to us and through us because Jesus is among us. Peter knows that if Jesus was ever the way, He's still the way today. He's still the way today. And that matters. Now, there's a third reason to let Jesus live as Lord, and that's this if ever He was the life, a living hope is still the life today. And here's an irony I find. In order to disarm our fears, Jesus, who is life itself, has to first confront our fears. Jesus actually provokes our fears in order to disarm them. He threatens the smallness of our little lives in order to give us the fullness of his abundant life. So what I'm saying is, be careful, because when you do start to encounter this living Jesus, he will create a crisis in your life. Count on that. That's what Jesus does, wherever he goes. He's creating one in my life right now, and the problem is I actually want to be Lord in my own life. I actually prefer that. Thank you. Um, I, I have, uh, and I don't know if this is my culture, Northern European, uh, real strong, I have a real strong affection for control. <laughs> I don't just mean control of my life. I mean control of your life as well. <laughs> I like that. It helps me. I, it reduces my level of fear. But I want to tell you what. Jesus knows I need something much better than that. And so he threatens that sense of control right at the very beginning. And he says, George, I'm here. I am your life. I found myself drawn to Jesus. I mean, there's no one like him. I know that. There's no greater hope for the world. I believe that. But at the same time, I'm just here to confess. I resist Jesus, and I've gotten really good at it because he threatens my sense of control. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of what it might cost me to follow him. I mean, I love his care for the poor, but I'm afraid what that might mean for my wealth. I love his call to justice, but I'm afraid what that might mean for my status. I love his call to holiness, but I'm afraid what that might mean for my ethics. What will it cost me in each area of my life to follow him who I date, where I work, what I say? What's it gonna cost me? But here's what Peter discovers from Jesus. There is always a cost, no matter what decision you make. In that garden, he stands at a fork in the road, and they're both expensive forks. You can lose your life, or you can lose your soul. The question isn't whether there's a cost or not, or whether you're afraid or not. The question is whether we let the one who is life pay the cost, disarm the fear on our behalf. And that's what Jesus does. Peter, looking back on this incident, He learned, he's grown, and he wants, he's encouraging his readers to take the risk to to do the good thing and trusting yourself to the one who gave his life for our life. Uh, Let Jesus provoke our fears, give our fears to Jesus so that he can disarm our fears in his perfect love. As the scriptures say, perfect love casts out fear. Stephen Colbert, recently in an interview, he said, no matter what happens, you're never defeated. What? You go, what? How could that be true? That's what he said. And maybe you've seen this. If you haven't seen it, watch this YouTube clip as he's interviewing Dua Lipa. If you don't know Dua Lipa, she's a 26-year-old superstar, model, and Grammy Award-winning singer. And he's interviewing her, and all of a sudden she turns the table and asks him a question. She asks him about his faith. You don't talk about your faith very much. Basically, she asks him to do what Peter's saying. Give an account for the hope that's in you, Stephen Colbert. And so here's Stephen Colbert, kind of swallows. And then what does he do? He starts talking about Jesus. What? Yes, he he starts telling about Jesus. He says, you know... When you encounter sadness, just know it's not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh at it. He says, if you can see it in light of eternity, the way Jesus sees it, you'll never be defeated. And then he quotes Robert Hayden. I don't know if you know Robert Hayden. He's a black poet, essayist from the last century. And Robert Hayden says, this is a great line. Listen to this. He says, we must not be frightened nor cajoled into accepting evil as deliverance from evil. You see the relevance of that? We must not be frightened or conjoled into accepting evil as deliverance from evil. Keep doing good, Hayden is saying. And then he continues. He said, we must go on struggling to be human, though the monsters of abstractions police and threaten us. Wow. See what he's saying? No matter what it costs, we must keep doing good, even though we are constantly threatened by what he calls the monsters of abstraction. This is what Peter's saying in verse 14. This is the opposite of letting Christ rule in your life. Do not fear what they fear. This is the antidote. Do not fear what they fear. How? Turn to Jesus. Sanctify him in your heart. Let the living, resurrected Jesus ply your life at its very center with resurrection hope. Even though You're terrified by these monsters of abstraction. I mean, come on, we all have those, right? But we also all have a very concrete Savior, Jesus. And he's the one that gives us courage to stand up to a world that is not yet under the lordship of Christ. It gives us the courage to stand up to a world that threatens to punish you and me for our faith. It's his life in us that gives us the power to go on struggling to be human. So go on. Keep struggling. You have a living hope. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus said it. And I, and I know that times are tough right now. But if, he, if ever he was the truth, a living hope is still the truth today. And if he ever was, the way, a living hope is still the way today. And if he ever was the life, a a living hope is still the life today. And so friends, if if you need any encouragement today, what I wanna encourage you to do before you leave is ask somebody in this room about their hope. Because you're sitting next to a miracle all around the room. We have hope in Jesus Christ. And it might just be as you ask someone about it, it might awaken your own hope in you. But more than anything, more than anything, I want to leave you with this thought. Just know, when life sifts you hard, it's not your grip on Jesus that holds you fast. It's his grip on you. Can I say that again? When life sifts you hard, it's not your grip on Jesus that holds you fast. It's his grip on you. So this is the final thought for this morning. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter before Peter Was in that courtyard. He he said, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And you, listen to this this is the part we don't notice. When once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He doesn't say, if. He doesn't say, and if you once turn back. No, when once. You have turned back, strengthen your brothers. By the way, that's what he's doing right here in this letter. He's strengthening his brothers and sisters. But what is Jesus saying? Peter, I'm praying for you. I have prayed for you. I continue to pray for you. I will be praying for you. I'm going to get you through this, Peter. You're going to experience an inward agitation like nothing you have ever known, it will test your faith to the verge of overthrow. And I'll meet you on the other side. I'll be there because I've been holding you all the way through the sifting. Now you understand, his brother James would say, the prayers of a righteous man avails much. And I think James is thinking about the prayer of Jesus. Nobody's prayer is as powerful as Jesus. And then imagine if you're the son of God praying to the Father, you probably don't get no very often. Once in a while, the cross, okay? But oftentimes, it's going to be yes. You may believe in the power of your mother's prayer. I hope you do. You may know how powerful it is when an elder anoints you and prays for you. I gotta say, Damascus International, if you were there on Wednesday night, you've been rocked by the power of prayer. I mean, this is incredible. Our cultural connection, it, to be in that room and to hear a, a 95-year-old member singing a spiritual from back in the day and then just transitioning right into prayer and then another person right into prayer and then another person right into prayer. There was another, was, hey, I'm George. Welcome to blah, blah, blah. This was. We were just ushered right into the presence of the living Savior, Jesus Christ. He was in the room. And, be, and it was because of the power of their prayer. But, but still... That prayer is not as powerful as the prayer of Jesus. When Jesus prays for you, this is God the Son speaking to God the Father. And so here for Peter, this is God the Son speaking to God the Father about Peter. This is the Son of God holding Peter up to the Father saying, this one's ours. Oh my gosh. Peter, Jesus seems to be saying, the soldiers will come and I'll be holding you before the Father. Peter, you'll turn away, and I'll be holding you before the Father. Peter, you'll deny you ever knew me, and I'll be holding you before the Father. Uh, Peter, the cock will crow, and I'll be holding you before the Father. Peter, your tears will flow, and I'll be holding you before the Father. I got you, Peter. And he prays this way for you, too. I mean, no matter what you're going through right now, Jesus knows all about it. He does. And he's holding you firm before the Father in prayer. No matter what price you might have to pay to do something that's good in your life, he's got you. Because it's not your grip on him that's gonna get you through. It's his grip on you. It's about you that he says today, I believe, Father, I've taken a hold of their humanity. I've held it firm through their sin. Held it firm through the judgment of the cross. Held it firm through death. Father, I've held them through the darkness and devastation of hell itself. And then on the third day, I got up. Remember that. To meet them on the other side. Father, it was their sin that took me down, but it's your grace that got me up. And now I lift them up to you and say, This one's ours. This one's ours. She's ours. He's ours. You're ours. Let's pray. Jesus, scriptures say you're the great high priest, which means we never come into the presence of God without you. You lead us to the throne of grace. And so we bend a knee, we bow our hearts, we we fold our hands to our chest, it's a sign of our humility before the great one, Jesus. You are Lord You are Lord and King at the flood, and you are Lord at creation as the Spirit hovered over the chaos of the formless and void, and you are Lord over the chaos of our lives right now. Pour out your Holy Spirit, we pray. Let the fullness of your Holy Spirit come raining down on us. This is our prayer today. We've sung it. We say it now again. Draw us deep into the presence of the living Savior, Jesus Christ, that each of us might testify to a genuine, authentic, not fabricated, but a real experience of a living savior. I pray this in your name and for your sake, amen.